What is going on, y'all? It is your man, Gerard Kenner. Thank you for checking out the podcast. That's supposed to be a different podcast. This is episode 65, The State of Black Male R&B, part five, featuring our R&B historian. That's what I'm calling you. I said that in the podcast. I called you. I'm, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> y'all should see his face right now. <laughs> Let's go to it. So um, the R&B historian, Calvin Michaels. If you're not familiar with Calvin Michaels, you need to get familiar with this brother. Follow his YouTube, follow his IG, and we'll go back into that towards the end of the episode as well. But my man has been consistently putting out information, discussing the history of R&B, discussing what's currently happening in R&B, other different things happening, at least within this country, news-wise, anything that's related to the African-American people. My man is consistent. He just finished editing a video today, I think, right? I literally just uploaded it 10 minutes ago. Wow, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, he, this is his second time on, um, on, this, on this podcast, and um, I appreciate you so much for just doing it, man. You're cool people. Um, yeah, bro. Uh, let's, if for those who are watching and aren't familiar with Calvin Michaels, just tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like, What made you get started with the YouTube videos? And what, what's what's going on with you right now? Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us all the good stuff about you, man. All right. Um, but for the YouTube, it was kind of just, I don't know, I just say circumstance. At the time when I started it, I was just trying to figure out life. I had just finished undergrad. Stuff wasn't really aligned. I was unemployed. Yeah. I ain't had nothing to do anyway. So, <laughs> you know, so I kind of initially my YouTube channel is because I was doing stand-up comedy. So it was supposed to be my promotion oh. outlet for my shows. Um and then gotcha. and you know, I just saw something one day that made me feel some kind of way and I made a video about it and it was pretty successful. And I was like, all right, maybe this could kind of be a thing. And over time, we just started kind of shifting into music. And then as far as the aspect of the music conversations around 2012, 2013, remember everything was really EDM at the time. And we saw mm. R&B artists commercially go into it like a spiral of decline just out of nowhere where all of a sudden yeah. acts that at one point were you know debuting in the top two or three on the billboard hot 100 and selling or you know selling decent numbers were now you know scouring the bottom of the billboard 200 i'm like wait a minute what's happening so i just started yeah. like a series yeah. called r&b is dead it just kind of talked about just what i thought could kind of help in regards to creativity and over time i started to realize it's not even about what the artist is doing sometimes it's also the industry and the structure so the conversation started to kind of shift more into just what happens structurally within industry and there's also a lot of conversations around music history and then that kind of opened another series i did the so what happened series which is really popular now where you kind of dive into different projects that may not have necessarily caught on commercially and we just do a deep dive so i just talk about a bunch of different things Politics, race, yeah, and he's consistent with you guys. Okay, so um, I'm under the impression, sir, that you caught wind of Tank's conversation on the Joe Button podcast. Joe Button, you know, you know, he was flexing. It's like, you know, let me call, <laughs> let me call Tank real quick. Let's discuss R and B and let's see what's going down. And basically, what he was saying was that male, black male R and B is getting crapped on. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what's going on? And he, from his perspective, he's like, you guys are trash. What's what's going on here? And Tank's argument was like, no, not really. But he, what he was saying was, there's an attack on black male R&B. And, and, and even further, there's a, still, a, still this attack on 
black males in general, as far as like our character, who we are, all that good stuff. We're not, this is not the episode for that. So we're not going to do that, sir. So, <laughs> so uh, window that void, no, that conversation. No. <laughs> we're not going to do that. That's what your show is for because you talk about that on your show. So, no, but at least for the episode, that's what the, that's, this is not what that episode is about. Yeah. So, um, Let's talk about that. And let's backtrack, too, because you're actually an artist as well. So it makes more sense from an independent artist. And for the most part, we tend to see um, mainstream artists have this conversation amongst each other. But it's like there's more regular, regular people than there are mainstream artists. So it would make sense for people like us, you know, say even the inspiring singers or whatever, to have conversations amongst ourselves because we're the um, consumers of this music. So it would make sense for us to have a conversation. We can't just always just depend on these mainstream people to make changes, make shifts, especially if they're connected to a label and their label is like, nah, bro, we don't want that. We're independent. Mm-hmm. We should be in a position to do what we want to do with our music. And anybody that consumes our music should be like word of mouth. But in any case, um, far as, you know what I'm saying, your, your life is concerned, where did you, how, when you first was like self-aware of R&B, how was R&B for you then when you were initially really aware of it and was like consuming it a lot? Um, I come from a really musically inclined family. And so I always grew up in an environment. It was a combination of R&B, gospel, and even like the throwback soul tracks that you would have heard during like the 50s and 60s, early 70s, and even the punk era. So it was always kind of a standard or a norm of just what was played in the house. My parents also played actually a bit of everything, to be honest. But, you know, just I think a lot of us have that same experience where, I don't know, it's Saturday morning and you as soon as you hear loud music, you know it's time to clean up. And so yep. you kind of get that introduction <laughs> into so many different artists because your parents are the ones who pick the playlist of what's going to be played. And that's exactly well, this is before a playlist. This one they just had the full album they put on. And so right, uh, right. yeah, so that and just watching, you know, video soul as a child. And yeah. um, and even then I think in that era, especially because we're kind of in that same age group, even different mm-hmm. television shows, some shows like a New York Undercover or sitcoms, it yeah, was common to yeah. see. R&B artists on those shows as well. And so it mm-hmm. was a space where R&B was in the forefront all the time. And it yep. was seen as a parallel amongst the other genres that may have been more popular. So for me, I've always kind of been a fan. And I think as I got older, especially after the industry changed and mm-hmm. you know, now we see where R&B is right now, it requires you to do more of a deep dive to really find you know, those artists. You okay. Can Give me a sec. They said they can't hear you for some reason. They can't hear me? Do I need to turn up? Nope, nope, nope. That is on me. That's my fault. And that's why. Okay. Well, I still got your audio edit. I still got your audio recording. (laughs) So y'all gonna hear it on the podcast. Wow. I was just in. Okay. So we're gonna, we're going, sorry guys. My apologies. And thank you for pointing that out. All right. So we're going to backtrack real quick. So essentially, you grew up listening to music just traditionally, like a lot of you know, African-American kids. Uh, so at a young age, you grew up listening to a lot of different music, even back from the 50s, 60s, right? Yeah. Or, or 60s, 70s. And then it got to a point like kind of like in the 90s, that's when you really was like, like really like cognizant of like what you were really listening to outside of like, it's time to clean up on a Saturday. Right, right. right? Okay, so let's go forward from there. So at that point, the last thing you mentioned was New York Undercover, the the, the tracks and stuff in New York Undercover. So let's let's proceed forward. I'm listening. 
All right. So, yeah. And so it was common to constantly see a lot of R&B artists on mainstream mm-hmm. platforms. And what was yeah. interesting with even like a New York undercover, sometimes an artist wasn't even performing their song. It might just be a cover. Or sometimes mm-hmm. you'd see the label send an artist on that show to kind of test out a song or a single. Mm-hmm. And then I just always wow. remember there was such a diversity amongst what was out there. You didn't have mm-hmm. too much of the same thing because mm-hmm. you just talk girl groups. You had about 150,000 different girl groups to, to choose mm-hmm. from. So it was the TLC right. or SWV or Total or 702 or Changing Faces or Allure. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, we go all day. Escape and Vogue, like just yeah. group after group. And those are the, the big ones. Then you have the smaller ones. You have Ex-Girlfriend and, and Madame X oh, and all wow. these different groups. And so and it was the same thing with the male R&B groups. And so there was just this massive variety that kind of, you're almost in this utopia of greatness and you didn't even realize how good it was until it wasn't there anymore. I'm like, dang. Utopia. That is... I'm sorry. It feels like, I'm sorry, like right now, it feels like I'm watching you on YouTube and I'm pausing and I'm thinking about what, <laughs> and I'm thinking about what you're saying. But that's, that's an interesting word to use during the 90s, a utopia. Is that how that felt for you? Because I feel like that era, that's when R&B was technically mainstream, where mm. um, R&B was being heavily played on the pop stations. And I think that lasted even into the early 2000s. I'll say till about 2002-ish is when you started really seeing the shift. Because I, I think back to even somebody like a Joe, and he okay. I Want to Know in 2000. To me, I think that song is the epitome of an R&B song. It, there's nothing mm-hmm. pop about it. It doesn't have a hip-hop influence. It's just an R&B smooth group. Yeah. But you yeah. saw him performing that show on like a kid's show like Taina, if you remember that, on Nickelodeon. He was on that episode. I remember that show, um, but I don't remember watching it. Yeah, they, they had a whole I'm familiar with it. back in the day where she wanted to go to the concert and she couldn't go, so he gave her a concert at school or something. And then, randomly, Britney Spears had this concert special in Hawaii. Remember, like, 99, 2000, Britney was a, a machine. And then yeah. Joe was the opening act on that specific TV special. So even mm-hmm. in those same spaces where you saw massive pop artists, you know, doing whatever they did, R&B was always right there. Because I think that same special, mm-hmm. Destiny's Child, was promoting Say My Name, because that was right after the lineup change. And so mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. saw it where R&B wasn't always an afterthought. Like, it, it may be now in the way that things are set up. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. I had now, for me, I was on the outside looking in, so to speak. It was like my my my, my perspective as like what was going on with R&B in reference to hip hop. So please, and I mean this, like correct me if I'm wrong about anything that I'm saying. And I mean that with, like, with all sincerity. So for me on the outside looking in, just far as like just looking at how R&B is, well, it was back then to how it is. Now, at one point, um, you had the birth of hip-hop, but R&B and soul music was still around, and it was kind of like, eh, okay, new kid on the block, right? They didn't, uh, uh, Hip-hop didn't get a lot of love as much, and then um, by the time you had like the gangster rap, you had R&B artists, you know what I'm saying? Even like your Deidre, uh, what's her name? I'm going to butcher her name. Her last name is Warwick. Dion? Uh Dionne Warwick, thank you. Sorry, man. I was going to butcher her name. But she was one of like the spokespeople that were against hip-hop and all this good stuff. So, yeah. But it was the gangster hip-hop, not the knowledge itself hip-hop, not the, you know what I'm saying, the public enemy number ones or the De La Souls or the other, uh, not Slum Village, but... Um, uh, Tri- thank you. Tribe Call Quest. Thank you. You own it. <laughs> Tribe Call Quest. All your comments or anything like that. It was the gangster stuff, and it was just like... Oh, all the hip hop is like that. And it's like, no, it wasn't. So then you got 
by the time you got like um like your Mary J. Blige was the 411, right? And then a little bit in the future, a little bit later on, she's doing stuff with with meth. You know what I'm saying? And now we're starting to see like slowly where it's two siblings saying, hey, let's do some stuff together. It's gonna be fun. Mm-hmm. Right? Still, even in the midst of gangster rap and people shooting each other in the face, and you know what I'm saying, hip hop artists disrespecting women, and we still begging women to give us a chance. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We all right. got that going in on. Rain. <laughs> You're right, in the rain, in the rain. And so, I, at least for me, I thought it, it looked like there was this weird shift, and there's this talk going around saying how, in the background, as far as these labels are concerned, and mind you, majority of these labels are not owned by people that look like us. That's the issue too. Okay. Anyways, we're not going to get in, get into that. Not really. But they don't look like us, and they're paying our people to promote particular things, right? They're not paying our people to promote knowledge anymore. They're not paying our people to really promote legitimate, genuine love anymore. And it's like, well, what's going on? But I was reading, and I've heard it before. How, at least in hip hop, there was like, we understand the severity of how hip hop affects people. They saw it in the 90s or the late 80s. And it was like, if we can get them to change the narrative of what they talk about in hip-hop, we can do something with these prisons and fill these prisons up. So I was like, what in the world? Off of music? So now we got people sagging their pants and people thugging. And they ain't never been a thug in their life. That would be like me out here in these streets. You know what I'm saying? Like, just perpetrating or whatever. You know what I mean? And so what I was, what I thought was we're seeing hip hop, you know what I'm saying, kind of like rise up and R&B decline. And it's like, well, what can we do to catch up to them from a commercial perspective? If, if, am I right on any of that information? So I, I want to backtrack some. You're on okay. it. I think, okay. so going back, the, one of the main reasons why, like, even... Urban AC stations, they've changed the name of what that format is called. I forgot what it's called, but Urban mm-hmm. AC stations. So those are the R&B stations that if somebody like a Lettucey comes out with something, that's the kind of station she's going to be played on. Most of those are radio gotcha. sites. But those came about because, again, like you said, you go back to those 80s, the mm-hmm. early 80s, there was a disconnect. Hip-hop was here. R&B and soul music was there. There was not going to yep. be an in-between. And so, you know, right. and like you said, there were some artists that, that weren't feeling it. There were some who kind of said, oh, we can try. You know, we can try. So, you know, you have Shaka Khan drop like an I Feel For You. And Jody Watley works with Rakim on uh, Friends and um, things like that. And so mm-hmm. what ends mm-hmm. up happening is labels discover that hip-hop is extremely profitable. They're seeing what's happening mm-hmm. with like a Run DMC. They're seeing that white kids in the suburbs are eating this up and it's bringing soup, like just revenue out the behind. And so you yeah, watch yeah. even radio formats start to change because up until that moment, all black music was played in the same radio format minus gospel. Um, yeah, jazz yeah. still had its own lane in the blues, but as far as like commercial music made from black artists that had any kind of kick, it was all on that same kind of radio format. With the emergence mm-hmm. of hip-hop, you saw a split where now there's the urban AC stations that specifically are going to play your Anita Bakers and your Luther. Mm-hmm. And then you have mm-hmm. the emergence of hip-hop stations that are also starting to kind of merge with pop stations, which would eventually uh-huh. translate into rhythmic stations. So today, mm. in modern times, you have you still have your urban AC stations, but right now, yeah. those are the stations that are going to play a tank. They're, that's what's going to play Luke James or yeah. uh, Jasmine Sullivan, most likely. You have mm-hmm. rhythmic mm-hmm. stations where they're going to play the best of what's happening in hip-hop and a few of the pop tracks that still have some kicks. So like when Katy Perry dropped Dark Horse, rhythmic stations, yeah. you know, 
And then you yeah, add sure, your hip hop gear stations and even those stations that play R&B, but there's a specific kind of R&B they play, which is usually R&B that's heavily infused with hip hop. And so you yeah. kind of saw that happen. I think when you go back to like the 90s, like you referenced, the mm-hmm. 90s up till about 2004-ish, I think, maybe even 2005, was that perfect combination of where hip hop and R&B had an interdependent relationship, but they could yeah. also be on their own leg. R&B can mm-hmm. still call its own shots without being heavily influenced or infused with hip hop and vice versa. Today, mm-hmm. we're now in a space where as an R&B artist, if you're not already extremely established and have a lot of commercial pool, you're not going to find your music on most rhythmic stations or major stations. The only place you're going to get play on is Urban AC. And you've also been yanked mm-hmm. out of the pop stations as well. Um, wow. And so I think it, it shifted. They recognized that hip hop was profitable. And mm-hmm. when it came to merchandising, because even with, you know, Run DMC and Adidas, you know, Adidas was not thinking about no Run DMC in the beginning until they realized, OK, my Adidas is this really big. We might be able to do something with this, because even when you talk to shoe game, the shoe yeah. game really didn't get serious like that till, till Jordans came out. Because even like when you think back to before Jordans were a thing, there were like over 100 different, you know, athletes that had some kind of partnership with a shoe brand. But no mm-hmm. athlete really had their own specific shoe. It was more so the shoe brand comes out, the athlete just models them and, oh, get ready for the Nike, whatever. Jordan comes out with his stuff. It's a movement. Yeah. Adidas recognizes we can do the same thing with Run DMC. And you start to kind mm-hmm. of see a shift where hip hop is also operated as a business. In comp- I think they do that with all the genres, but yeah. to me, with how it's you know shifted, it's a business endeavor at this point. There's still really mm-hmm. great music. You know, There's still some, some great stuff being put out there. But like you said, most of the people in charge don't look like us. They're not rooted yeah. in a specific sound and there's not a value or appreciation for music in general. It's just about what can really make us hit our bottom line in revenue. Yeah. And because and that's R&B, something that, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, Go ahead. Done. I'm sorry. And I think because <laughs> R&B is a very, in my opinion, it's a very mature genre. Like you can still mm. play it to anybody, but it's a very mature genre. Mm. Hip hop just has this appeal that can pull in young kids. But but I think that's something new, though, because honestly, you go back in the day, a lot of R&B acts were still heavily marketed to younger audiences, like New Edition. Mm. Was a huge yeah, yeah and, definitely. And Sammy and like even the kid acts back in the day still got yep. top notch production. Like Tevin Campbell. High five. High five. Yeah, Tevin like, Camp. Tevin, yep. In my opinion, I, people might fight me, but I still think his strongest album is his debut. So we love. Oh, I'm not going to fight you on that. No, I concur. But that debut with "Goodbye" and "Alone with You" and "Tell Me What You Want Me to Do" and "Strong," like yeah, the whole album. I'm like, all this for a 15 year old? Like, damn. Yeah. Right. 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 So you, or even Jason Weaver, like Weaver, Jason uh, Weaver. Yeah. So many the the boys and and you know like the boys produced their own music back in the day. Like, really? I don't think people realize they wrote most of their songs and they were their own. You mean like Heavy D and the boys? No, the, the, the boys, and the boys, boys. but little boys. Like they, uh, you got me going crazy. Them and Dial My Heart. Um, that sounds so, like, so familiar. Uh, oh man, I feel old, bro. They were jumping between about 88, 92-ish. Um, mm. It was like, but they like were kids. They were between, I think, nine and... 14 when they came out and they produced, and they were producing their own they were engineering and producing their own stuff they still had insight from people up top but that's yeah. what made them yeah. jump so there was a time period where the investment was there even for the mm-hmm. kid act so yeah you, you've just seen a shift it's off the chain Word. And thank you, and that's uh, real quick. I'm gonna talk to the people that's watching. Thank you for for commenting as well. Like we want to have dialogue with you guys as well, as far as reading the comments and stuff like that. Something that I thought about, um, Calvin, was 
rock and roll. And I mentioned this with uh, my homeboy. Was a brother that I know. He's a uh, a songer. Uh, sing, speak English. <laughs> a songwriter. Wait. To be fair, producer. you speak Spanish. Don't judge yourself. You, the bilingual. <laughs> All right. Say it in Spanish. Switch over. But I be messing. No. But I be like, I don't know what's wrong. I can't. Sometimes I'll forget a whole word. That's been happening lately. I'll just forget a whole word, and I'm like, I don't even know what to say. What What is the word? No. But um, what I talked about was how it looked with rock and roll, how, you know what I'm saying, our people created it. And then they said, oh, we can make some money off of this too and we'll just paint it different, slap some new faces on there. And then it went crazy and we understand that it was worldwide and crazy. And some people going to feel some type of way about this. I do not like the Beatles. <laughs> I don't think the Beatles are any good. And uh, a brother of mine that, I'm spe- that I spoke with, I'm... Um, um, I engineer his music, like far as like mixing and stuff like that. He's a phenomenal musician. Him and his wife, they're both like dope uh, singers and songwriters. But uh, him and I, we had a discussion about it. He's like, I think they're dope. They deserve their flowers. Like, Bro, they got plenty of flowers. <laughs> they don't need no more flowers. But I was like, I didn't think that they were good. Like, um, I'm in school for... Um, for uh, audio production, I just was like, let me just get my degree in something I'm halfway good in. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the classes I had to take was uh, history of recorded music. And out the gate, they were talking about the Beatles. And I was like, I don't want to hear about the Beatles. Because I didn't think that they were good. Their lyrics were weird. And I have a personal issue with them as a kid. I was in a singing competition with me and my friends. We're singing Backstreet, I mean, Blackstreet, Don't Leave. And these jokers sung the Yellow Submarine. No harmony, no nothing. Had a prop with the Yellow Submarine. Didn't take the song serious. Was laughing in the middle of the song. And we what? got a pianist, Negro, yes. I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, they can't even sing. We had the four-part harmony. We had the pianist playing. We're doing everything that you would see an R&B artist do or a group. Me and my friends are like between 13, 14 years old. And I was like, I don't like the Beatles. <laughs> that, that was just my personal thing. But some of the stuff I heard, I was like, okay, it's not as an adult. I was like, okay, it's not bad. But y'all ain't better than half the other people that I heard that, that, that looked like me. But what I will give them their flowers for is their ingenuity when it came to engineering and mixing. They introduced a lot of different mixing techniques that we never would have thought about. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, oh, their engineers was like, okay, let's try something different. I'll give you your flowers for that. They introduced different sounds and stuff, but mm-mm, y'all don't get no flowers for that. But in any case, what I was really trying to say was in reference to, to rock and roll, and I was looking at it like, were they, they were kind of like doing the same thing with hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to commercialize it. We're going to make a lot of money. But then we're going to switch it and slap some white people on it. So now, like most kids nowadays, when they look at, I mean, even some of us, we wrestle with it. Or we grew up looking at rock and roll like, oh, that's white people music. Not realizing that our predecessors created this music. It just got commercialized. Let's see what happened. Okay, nothing. So, and that's, I feel like they were kind of like slowly kind of trying to do that. I mean, you see that with pop music because we were creating pop music and we had all these different acts and then you slap some white people on it. And then it's, that's that. Like, uh, I was talking to my homeboy about this maybe like three or four days ago about uh, Frankie Lyman. He had some song, I think it was like Fools Fall in Love, a whole bop. You saw all these white people, these white girls just like 
struggling to clap, even though they knew the song was dope. And they're chewing the gum. All them girls are chewing the gum. Why were they chewing gum? Was that like a new invention? I didn't realize you could chew gum in such a racist way. I mean, they was in that back corner. I was like, they know they wanted to enjoy it. He was performing uh, Goody Goody. And uh, but That's what it was. Yeah, I was just like, it just highlights. Like, they knew what they were witnessing sounded amazing, but they were not going to give him that lane. And I've always said Bro. that everything is still separated by race in this country, even our music. Yeah. And white yeah. America is going to support their own before they support somebody else. So if they can find somebody that does what we already do, and be the face of it, yeah. they're gonna run for it. So yeah, it was interesting to watch all of them pretend to not be amused by Frankie Lyman at all. I'm like, but y'all, I'm like, y'all know this Negro is dope. Stop, stop. Like you struggling to clap. Like Shake he is so dope. <laughs> Look, he is so dope. He's making you clap on beat. That's how good this boy was at that point in time. Like, I ain't never seen nobody like, no, I'm good enough to make you clap on beat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you saw them like try to like. Mentally not clap, mentally not enjoy. You can see it on their faces. Just like at each other to make sure, are you going to clap? I'm not going to clap. Okay, we're going to sit here and pretend we don't like this. I'm like, y'all, this is a stretch here. But they knew it was a bop. And my man was like, you can't deny me. And uh, sister, uh, sister, she said, uh, Mel V. Daly, she said, uh, exactly. Black people have been experimenting. I wouldn't say experimenting. We created it. All right. Like we literally credit for Rock 88. That's pretty much what they wanted to give credit for is the first rock and roll song right there. So what song was it? Ike Turner, Rocket 88. Really? Yeah. See, it, this is it, listen, guys. This that is why. A song from Little Richard. I can't think of what it's called, but it, it's but I know Rocket 88 is one of the songs they give credit to for being technically the first rock and roll song. Wow. But see, listen, guys, this is why I call this man. Our, our our musical historian, our our R&B historian, because like y'all gotta check out his stuff, man. My man really be doing his research, so it's it's really dope, man. You're like this. That's what I called you. I called you a hidden gem, and they need to be they need to be they need to get familiar real quick because you you'll put them on some stuff. So, um, I want I want your thoughts on this. I think. We saw the converging and the sharing of music between hip-hop acts and R&B acts. And then in some cases, you saw some R&B acts just like, yo, I want to rap too. Like, I think of Usher, Out the Gate. The, uh, the My Way album, that was like 1997, 1998. That was my first secular album that I ever bought because I grew up in a church. My mom wasn't having it. Even though she let me listen to New Edition and Whitney Houston, I, I couldn't. Listen to this, you know what I'm saying? Because it had cursing, it had uh, uh, on one song, just like me, it had Little Kim. Yeah, That's well, what's crazy. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was my joint, boy. But um, the um, what was it? Uh, nice and nice slow, and slow. That the, the, that bridge. Yeah, and when he was rapping on it, and apparently Jay, I'm assuming that JD wrote that. Yeah. And uh, Joe, uh, not Joe Budden, God forgive me, um, Rory, the new Rory and Maul podcast, they recently had an a episode with JD. Yeah. And JD was like, he was like, y'all fail to forget, like, I actually did R&B music. And he's like, I'm a hip hop dude, but I'm writing R&B joints. And it's like, yeah, we can't, we can't, we can't forget that. About you know what I'm saying about him, like is he's probably one of the most slept on songwriters for R&B. You know what I'm saying? We just don't think about it because we like JD. Oh, that's hip hop because you know his acts. But he did stuff. He had what Escape uh, wasn't what Jagged Edge. They was I mean they did their own Ghost stuff Town too. Ghost Town DJs. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
So it's like we got we give this give this brother his flowers. But something that was said and um matter of fact, I'm gonna try to go to my YouTube real quick. Cause this some kid said something goofy and was like, oh man, um, you know. I was, what he said was, y'all starting off the year with a GOAT content, his story about Babyface telling him to make another hit is hilarious. I'm like, are you taking a shot at Babyface? First off, that's how I was thinking. And so what I said was, if you actually understood how big of a deal that Babyface was and low-key still is, you'd understand the weight of what he said to JD. Because basically he was like, yo, make another make another hit R&B song. And JD was like, shoot, this is Babyface. I got to figure out how to make another hit R&B song because he was just, you know what I'm saying, doing stuff for crisscross or whatever. Uh, let me see. Eddie says, oh, I think uh, Mel V. Daly saying, is saying that we were exper experimenting, meaning inventing, and then fine-tuning, developing, and evolving rock and roll and hip-hop since the 30s. Yeah, because I, I, I feel like... Baby, I am recording. Like they were What's saying... I'm going to just cover why he's taking care of his home business. But like I was saying... My, I'm sorry, my wife, y'all. You good. You good? I, I'll cover it. But um, I think when you look at what's happening in the 1930s, that transition of jazz and blues and the experience that they created as artists that would eventually lead to what would become rock and roll. People wanted to dance, mm. but people also wanted to have subject matter. And so I feel like yeah. rock and roll in those early stages was a combination of a bunch of things. Um, and so you, you had a, a space of jazz, a space of blues, and then rock mm. and roll was emerging. So yeah, there's a bunch of layers. I think like you say with Jay, yeah. one of the things about a lot of the hip hop producers out of that era was they all still were rooted in R&B as children. I think that's one of the reasons why in the 90s, so much of the music has samples from the 70s. So much of it. Um, yep. That's what the, they, they grew up on what mom was playing. I think that's why Diddy was successful with Bad Boy in the beginning. He, he went a little bit more towards the 80s with a lot of his samples. But, you know, mm -hmm. they, they grew up in a sound that they were rooted in that their parents introduced them to. And so even they, though mm -hmm. they may have been hip-hop artists, there's almost a melodic approach with a lot of their music. Even Tribe Called Quest, which they did a lot of yeah. The gift I always said that they had as a rap group, when you look at how they sampled, especially back in the day, you know, sampling mm -hmm. back then, it wasn't you just took the song and looped it. This is before all the fancy Pro Tools. This is when yeah. you had that double-decker tape deck and you take the piece you have and, and, and loop it in a tape deck and take another tape and you go through That's some different effects and you'd be doing this for three or four days and then you have this really different right. loop. But some of those Tribe Called Quest samples are so melodic. And mind you, they took so many samples from so many different acts and somehow were able to create a sound that's still very melodic. It almost has an R&B feel to it. I think that's why a lot of yeah. R&B heads really appreciate a group like Tribe Called Quest. There's some people like, Absolutely. I listen to hip hop, but most of my favorite hip hop acts tend to have music that's still catchy to the ear. Because I, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. down with the lyrics, but I still want to be able to kind of you know, right. along. And so I think that was the gift that they had. And to whoever was saying whatever about Babyface, I think people forget Babyface pretty much is the sound of the 90s when you want to talk about Bill. Look, man. Uh, Look, some of us were probably born like you, to Babyface. Babyface, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, um, yep. um, Crouch, um, who else? I mean, there's a handful of them, but there was really yeah. like a handful <laughs> of folks that really just ran that era, mm -hmm. especially there was like that era between about 93 and 98. I mean, yeah. Babyface just, you couldn't, the Wait Until Excel soundtrack, for one person to do that by themselves and for every song to slap and slap in yeah. the way that, you know, molds to whatever artist is on the song, is, that has to be a challenge. They say you're going to do a soundtrack. 
Monday, you'd work with Whitney Houston. The next day is Shaka Khan. The next day is Shantae Moore. The next day is SWB. Like, wow. that has to be yeah. like, damn, how do I pull that off? And that's not right. his only project. Like, he did that coming off of working on Tony Braxton's Secrets at the same time. So, like, you know. Bro, that's so much work. And, yeah, you got to have a good ear. Because as a producer, your fear is you don't want to, you know how they say, like, actors get typecast. As a producer, mm-hmm. you don't want to be like, typecast as a producer that only has one kind of sound. And Babyface was able wow. really, you know, go from the 80s with the deal all the way until modern times where, you know, even in modern times, he's been working with Ariana Grande and some other people. And so he's been mm-hmm. able to constantly stay relevant with his sound. That, that's a get and I think a musicianship. So... And I think it's dope that he's still he's he's still relevant to work with modern artists. And but not only that, but the modern artists know who Babyface is. Right. Cause some people they be like, who's Babyface? Like, cause you got really rappers with these weird names. And then you hear a babyface, and you're like, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> who, who is Babyface? <laughs> no disrespect. No disrespect. Yeah. No, to no, him. You, no, my beef though, I think there's a lot of people that are now in music that in my opinion, don't even really care about music like that. It's more of a And I talked about that too. It's image yep. and status. And so... And money. There, that too. I just feel like there was a time where it was almost expected that you had to be well-researched in order to be successful in music. Because if you weren't, you'd fizzle out with whatever trend dipped out. Once the trend was gone, you were gone. And so I, I think when you look at the greats, no matter how, mm-hmm. what kind of impact they have, when they tell you who their influences are, you can always tell mm-hmm. they're well studied. Like, I just saw a post on Twitter where, um, you know, The Weeknd just dropped his project and he has a, a song on it with Quincy Jones. And there was this publication that was saying, oh, well, The Weeknd is um, working with Quincy Jones, who's famous for, and the person just named the three Michael Jackson albums. And I'm like, y'all realize, you know, wow. as great as those projects are, Quincy Jones had already been in the business for like 35 years when he did Off the Wall. Like he could have retired right. by then. Like Quincy Jones yeah. and what he did with Michael was that was when he was already in retirement age. But you know, with as generations come up, there's almost that erasure. And so people feel that I, I saw another mm-hmm. post where they're like, yeah, it's Michael Jackson who made Quincy Jones. I'm like, see, y'all, y'all, y'all starting to jump into a territory I don't like now. Like, all right. Look. Like you gotta recognize Michael reached out to Quincy. <laughs> like he said, Right, not I the see other what way you've around. Done in 30 years with these jazz artists and, and with Brazilian jazz and pop and because he's worked with everything, Look, everybody, movie scores, Oscar, award show, music, everything. Like people right. are forgetting, like people just aren't researched anymore and there's not an appreciation. Basically. I think it- And you're right. Uh, She's right. I'm sorry, Mel V. Uh, you're, you're right. They they are bugging. They are bugging. Let me let me ask you a question, Calvin. So for me, um, I think the most interesting shift in reference to hip-hop and R&B, I remember it. It was during the summer. It was either 2010, excuse me, or 2011. I was back home in Saginaw, Michigan. I'm in the car and I'm driving. And I hear this, uh, I should have tuned my guitar to play it, because if I had played it, you would have recognized what it was. And I hear this song called How to Love. And I was like, the dude really can't sing, but I was like, these lyrics are dope. I was like, who? Because you already had your T Pains. And at one point, me as a singer, I was like, oh, T Pain can't sing. Because he used auto tune. So, we, we didn't know. We, we, we didn't know. Too much pitch correction. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know. I was like, ah, you know, he's using that. And so I remember I was, I was, at, I was in the car. I'm driving. I hear the, 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 the radio announcer, summer 2011. Thank you. And so 
the, the radio announcer is like, that was How to Love by Lil Wayne. Bro, I almost crashed my car, dog. I was like, what's going on? That's for, as an R&B artist, I was really confused. I was like, what? What's going on? I was so, I was like really distraught, Calvin, in my car. Because I was like, I might as well not even do music anymore. Because you got a hip-hop artist really singing a dope song. Why am, why am I doing this for you know what I'm saying? And that, that was really my mind. It was a weird mindset to have. But I was like, and I couldn't deny that the song wasn't dope because it was dope. And then the music video to that was dope. And I was like, he might go somewhere with this. But it seemed like it was kind of like a one-off thing. But what we don't realize, at least in my opinion, is that he was kind of like paving the way for melodic artists, whether we realize it or not. Because a whole hip-hop artist wrote a whole R&B song and sung it. And I don't think there was no harmony behind it unless he had background vocals, other background vocalists doing it. And I think, at least for me, that I could be a thousand percent wrong. I think for me, that was kind of like when I noticed the shift in, in, in reference to hip-hop and R&B. Because hip-hop was already getting big, getting big, getting big, getting big. And then kind of like when that song came out, that's when you saw the, the real shift. And then they started tinkering with more singing, more singing. I mean, you know, uh, who was doing this? Uh, 50 Cent was kind of like doing it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? With his 21 questions. You know what I'm saying? Jones like that. But then you start but seeing even then, more. He had Nate Dog doing the singing for all. He had because Nate Dogg. Ja no, you're getting right. fried up for doing the singing. Oh, Jay, Ja Rule was doing that the singing. Around the time we, everybody stopped messing with Ja because like, oh, he's singing too much. He done got soft. Um, but that's crazy because 50 was doing the same thing. 50 asked somebody else sing the hook. He said, I got that part. Bro. I think... Oh well, no, because he's single mini man. So never mind. Mini man, yep, he sure did. And, and we, we think, and we think, yeah, and we ain't think nothing of it. Or even, or even Nelly with, with pimp juice. Say, what, look, on my rug. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, they, it was a, it was a slow shift. I think then it was, it wasn't expected to be the trend, but I think. Like you said, with Wayne, mm. you had Drake who just also, like Drake had been out since about 07, but he ain't really started jumping until about 2010. And he okay. kind of, you know, he was on the, the Diddy Dirty Money last Train to Paris album on, on mm. that song, Loving You No More, which is, I love that song. But that's the one with, um, you know, you have Drake pretty much singing the hook with, with Don wow. and I think the lady's name Kalina. And then he'd still rap. But, you know, you started seeing a lot more, or at least the emergence of more rappers being melodic rappers and it becoming a trend or a standard. And I think you've gotten to the point where for R&B artists, they're constantly in a tug of war, but they can't win because they're the middle of the rope. On the right side right. is pop music. All the yep. pop artists, in my opinion, I think in pop music, there's two elements of pop music. There's pop music, the business model, as far as mm. commercial relevancy and the stadiums and all that. And then there's pop, the actual sound. And like we've always said, pop doesn't really have a distinctive sound. It, it latches on to what's popular and what's the trend. And pop artists, in my opinion, for the last 10 plus years, lost their identity when they decided mm. to go more R&B rooted, hip hop rooted, have that yeah. appeal because now you can, a pop artist can't go back to a Britney Spears no. 1999 kind of sound because it's considered too cheesy now. And so it's yeah. have to latch onto something else. And on the other end of that rope is hip hop. And so what's mm -hmm. happened is both pop and hip hop do R&B and call it pop yeah. hip hop. And then the R&B acts, because labels are not going to invest in them anymore. And like I said, they consider R&B to be a very mature genre. They're not mm. going to put the backing behind it that they would for uh, somebody like, like a Drake or, or yeah. uh, Justin Bieber, who in my opinion is interesting because now Justin, 
He won. He went into this whole fight about the Grammys because he wanted to yep. in the, the, the R&B categories. And mm-hmm. it's funny, I have an R&B is Dead episode coming out soon, but I've always said pop, in my opinion, is not a respected genre of music. And so that's mm. why every major pop artist at some point in time strays away from that kind of cookie cutter created image of that and they go into something else either they go an r&b soulful route they might go a little bit more hip-hop they might go folk they might go country everybody does it christina aguilera she has her debut and then she goes what about pink pink yeah comes in yeah yeah. (laughs) Pink comes in a little r&b her argument is the label made me do it and now this is my real sound um, you know, what? Justin. That was her argument. I, she, her argument was, I wasn't trying to be an R&B singer, but L.A. Reid said that's what you need to do. I, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. Right. But right. you know, like most of the pop acts, or even like, um, so like, look at even an Ariana Grande is very hip hop influenced now compared to when she first came out. It was still there, but yeah. she just went even more left field. Madonna at mm. some point in time had bedtime stories, a whole baby face produced yeah. album. Like pop artists, they all have a moment. Miley Cyrus, they all have this moment where they leave pop and they go yeah. into another genre and they do that because they need more acclaim. You need more critical mm. acclaim. And most of the time, these artists, their most critically acclaimed album is the one where they veered away from the, the commercial machine pop sound. They went to something mm. else more left field to be taken seriously. Because again, pop is more about, it, it, it's that double-edged sword where it, there's the genre, but there's the business model. And most pop right. artists are not respected <laughs> as viable entertainers. They're they're seen as pretty much ear candy, sugar, whatever it is. And then, I mean, and it's yeah. not saying they're not talented, but it's just highlighting right. the fact that you go to the Grammys and you look at who does all the sweeps. I know Taylor Swift is in her own planet right now, but most Basically. of the, the artists who, you know, that win these big awards, they tend to be the artists that you never expected to win. So even when you go to the, that 2000 Grammys with the pop category, everyone mm. just knew Britney was going to win that mess. And then Christina won. Yeah. And Christina that year had 52% of the Academy's vote in that category. Britney was like 2% or like 12% or something like that. It wasn't even close. So it's it just highlights that again, in my opinion, wow. pop has never really been respected like that. Mm. Um, and when and so an artist gets a choice, you can shift over and do the more R&B or do something else eclectic, but you will lose some of that commercial success. Paula Abdul's mm-hmm. that perfect example where she oh, has man. these two massive albums, and the minute she's like, "All right, I don't want y'all to keep thinking I'm only this. I'm gonna be a little bit more experimental." She has the album that came after Spellbound that has the song "Crazy Cool," and it was totally mm. ignored. To, to the point wow. where she acts like it didn't happen. So there's layers. Yeah. Like, I ain't mean to ramble, but y'all, y'all know. No, 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 no. This is what you're here for. That's what I'm saying. You, you are our musical historian, man. So it's good that you that you mentioned all these all these things. And just to backtrack, uh, let's see, Melvi. There was a okay. So Eddie, he said that uh, Quincy has a documentary on Netflix. Really good. I, I enjoyed that. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good. And then. Um, the uh, Lil Wayne song actually came out 20, uh, 2011. Wow. Uh, Mel V, she also said that she feel well, actually, is that a boy? Is that a brother? I can't tell from here. I'm, uh, my bad. Uh, but Mel V says, uh, I feel like the shift. If, if you're a brother, my bad, please forgive me. If you're not, either way, please forgive me. Just charge it to my head and not my heart. Um, I feel that the shift was a little earlier around like 2003. And that's when we got the whole thing as far as like the Nellies and you know what I'm saying, even, you know what I'm saying, even during that time. So are you a brother? Okay, please forgive me, man. I'm so sorry, dude. Don't, don't, don't like dislike me. Sorry, man. 
My bad. So Eddie said Miley Cyrus Rose Eyes. She took the critical acclaim from working with hip hop artists and producers and then said she doesn't listen to hip hop because it's vulgar. Mm, yeah, it wasn't that's mature just, enough. And yeah, because she just jumped from ship to ship. So remember, bro. she was in like the Hannah Montana thing. Did you party see that in thing the USA recently? bit and went, like they said, hip hop and then went all the way to folk and bluegrass and now she's a rock chick. I'm like, you make up your mind what you want to do. They did a We Are the World type of thing for cancer oh, awareness. Not, not, <laughs> first of all, they're messed up with how they did it. This is no jab to the other pop star that she had to sing her verse with, but I was like, it's noticeable that they put the people we don't really go to for vocals in the same verse called Parenting. I'm not there yet, y'all, so I still got a little bit more freedom, just a little bit. All right, I'm trying to read the comments at the same time. Um, exactly, no... You said party in the USA, Loki. Listen, party in the USA still was a bop. It still knocked, but it just, you know, it's interesting when you look at her catalog, like each sound is, is so different. And some would say maybe it's evolution. I just think it's business model. I just think it's, you know, figuring out what trend works. So it's pretty interesting. Let's see. I'm going to try to scroll. I'm, it's weird. I'm looking at Instagram on my phone with this. Yeah. So, um, what I want to talk about is what Tank was saying in reference to, and I played it on another uh, on another uh, IG live and podcast. But it's in reference to the brothers, in reference to uh, to R and B, and it's like, well, what's going on? And I and I keep thinking that they're they're looking at it from a mainstream perspective. And what I was, I think, either I said it offline or I said it like right while we were online. Is that we're the, you know what I'm saying, even as independent artists, um, we're the consumers of R&B music. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, there's not a lot of, okay, give me a second, I'm going to read that too, but there's not a lot of uh, black male artists talking about love. And I was like, yeah, they are, but what you were saying earlier, you kept saying a machine, something's backing them, this, that, this, and the third. And it's like, or you got people just like, but they just don't want to hear that anymore. Even for R&B acts, they don't, it's almost in a, in a, from a, pers a perspective of where well, they don't want to hear that anymore. I'm like, is it they don't want to hear it anymore because somebody was paying them not to talk about it anymore? Or they don't want to hear it anymore because it sounds like old people, old, old people music. So um, I want to ask your opinion on that in reference to like men, black men being, you know what I'm saying? Doing the doing the begging, doing the baby, I'll do anything to you know what I'm saying to, to make sure that you get all just love in general. What's what do you think is the issue concerning that? Even mainstream or independent? What do you think the, the issue is concerning the the support of, of, of that type of music concerning black men? One, I, I don't even think it's that people don't want to hear that. I think that's just kind of been what has been put in the forefront, at least from the commercial standpoint. Because yeah. the perfect example, like, so I work with a whole bunch of kids. And so for me, mm -hmm. wh where I work is almost the perfect catalyst of just kind of studying what the future music trends will be. So, you know, Giveon comes out and he has that one song that's really, really popular. Those kids were obsessed with that song. And I'm like, hmm, I would have never guessed that this would be you know, just based on yeah. what's pushed to y'all all night, all day, you know, right. I say no. So there, there's a need and a want that's still there. Uh, and even when like John Legend dropped all of me years ago, even I wasn't that yeah. crazy with that song. Like that it was cool for what it was. But thinking yep. back, that generation of kids I was working with at that time ate that song mm. up as well. So I think it's all about what's presented. Like with music, if you can just shove something down somebody's throat enough times, they'll buy into it. And so what's yeah. happened is there's nothing behind 
R&B acts to push that anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do mm. with the fact that there aren't that many record labels anymore. Mm. Record labels have merged into something. So Jive Records is gone. You know, Jive was merged into RCA. Um, uh. well, most of these, like, J Records is gone. Arista's gone. LaFace... It's gone? Arista is gone? It, it was kind of, like, swallowed into some other label. I forgot. But it's under it's under BMG, but I forgot the, the label. Oh, wow. Like, a lot of these labels are gone, you know. And... Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. Back in the day, because there were so many labels, there was enough to put behind an artist specifically. And if you were an artist on a smaller label, you know, mm-hmm. really could get some good backing if there weren't too many people on the label. I look at RCA. If you look at how many people are on that roster, I'm like, mm-hmm. dang, how? It, it's almost like, you know, when you first go to undergrad and you do those one on one classes that are kind of the prerequisites <laughs> and it's 500 people yeah. in the class. You are not going to get a lot of time with the professor one-on-one because at this point, you just got to get the assignment in and they, they got four TAs or, and they're just trying to grade stuff. As opposed to get to your junior, senior year and you're taking classes in your major and now you're in a course with eight other people. You get more yeah. time, more investment. That's the same thing when if you're on a label that's too big. And so for R&B wow. music, because again, like we said, it's deemed as the mature genre and it's also deemed as the less profitable genre in comparison to hip hop, in comparison to pop and even country. It doesn't get mm-hmm. the same backing. And this is why so many R&B artists on RCA, especially between about 2011 and to the present, have all gotten backseat action. I think this is one of the reasons why somebody like a Normani just never really has, has blown up. I have yeah. other opinions, but I think even when you saw what happened with a lot of the R&B artists in 2012, you know, Brandy had dropped mm. 211. There was some shenanigans behind the promotional with that, or the yeah. promotion with that. Um, you just kept seeing different things take place, or even J Records before it disappeared. You had like yeah. Guy Larry Jackson leave the same time frame in which Jasmine was just about to drop the Love Me Back album, and that killed off promotion. Monica's here, uh, what's it called? Not still standing. I was about to say that's Usher. Monica's still standing album, the promotional. Mm campaign for that album ended as soon as Larry Jackson left. And so, you know, they were just in this space where they were about to release the song Here I Am and they had Trey songs on a remix. Once Larry was out, they said, all right, that's it. That project next. And mind you, Monica was having a nice comeback with, you know, Love All Over Me and everything to me. And so again, I think one of the issues is is how the industry is structured. There's just no investment in R&B. But when it comes to the people and what they want to hear, if something sounds good, people are going to consume it. And I learned mm-hmm. that just from being a child. Like, I think back to a lot of the music my parents played when I was a kid. I used to think all of that was current. I remember the first yeah. time I heard Michael Jackson's PYT, I just oh, thought man. that was what was out in 1998, 97. I didn't realize it was a song really? from, you know, an album that came out in 82. The first time wow. I remember specifically hearing Earth, Wind & Fire, September, was when I was watching Soul Food. And you remember they were at the wedding and that song was playing in the beginning. I'm yeah. sure it probably had, I heard it before, but I didn't notice it until I was watching the movie. I thought yeah. that was just a current song. And even when I bought the soundtrack, you know, it's right on there with, you know, a, a Blackstreet song, Little Kim mm-hmm. and, and In Vogue and all these mm-hmm. other folks. I just thought that's what it was because I just recognized if it sounds good, it sounds good. Especially live right. music doesn't really have an age. When you use live instrumentation, it can never really age as opposed to drum kits that... You can kind of timestamp when something comes out. If you hear industrial drums, you know that most likely this is a song that came out between 87 and 91. So it's just like, I think right now for R&B artists, um, 
there's not a lot of support. I would love to see more black-owned labels to really try to push. And I was going to, I wanted to get into scale. that too. Yeah, even if it's yeah. smaller scale, because you know, major doesn't always guarantee success. And we've seen right. unsung episodes where everybody was broke. <laughs> so <laughs> look now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's layers. So I'm going to go back and read some comments. So Mel V said, uh, I feel like everything has been done and said already. Um, it's like every new song is heavily sampled and just sounds regurgitated. Uh, Eddie says, RCA has a gang of great R&B and hip hop artists. Currently, Lucky Day, and I've heard Lucky Day. Lucky Day is like 35. I was like, okay. That's so motivation for me too. I was like, all right, yeah, exactly. Hope. That's I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, that's what I was saying. But he's been at it for a good minute because he, I remember yeah. he auditioned for American Idol like 10 years ago. So he's really, really? he's been putting in the work. Yeah. He, I had to uh, do uh, some research on him for a class of my, for a recorded history of, uh, 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 history of recorded music. So I had to talk about him and then talk about who who influenced him and then who influenced that artist and da 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 da. da. So one of his influences, well, he started like far as like us knowing about him in like 2008. I think he wrote a song for Neo or something like that. So for his his influence was D'Angelo and then D'Angelo was um, Stevie Wonder. Then Stevie Wonder was like. Ray Charles. Ray Charles was inspired by Nat King Cole. I was like, what in the world? You know what I'm saying? So it's interesting. And it's something that's I wanted to touch on next, and you had, you had briefly said it real quick, was having black-owned uh, labels. You know what I'm saying? I think that's really important. What I talked about the other day is that I don't know what is it about us as black people, but like, if somebody says, I, I'm going to start my own business, I have my own LLC, they, they take it so lightly. Oh, how's your little business doing? How does, it's like, but, bro, like, you might be working somewhere and might not get anything from it but a check. But after you can't work no more, you might not have anything. But if you have your own, why are we not celebrating that? You know what I'm saying? I feel like, I feel as though that's a big thing. You know, you got the memes and oh, flip your money. Somebody, I saw a meme today. Somebody was talking about oh, I'm tired of seeing these, uh, seeing uh, stuff with the IRS or whatever. When you get your money, go and create a <laughs> LLC. <laughs> and a, they said, no, an amuse, yo, uh, they said uh, uh, an amusement park. I was like, bro, I'm tired of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what that is though. This is more of a history lesson, but it's a conversation of industry versus kind of mom and pop because yeah. black people were often left out of so many opportunities in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s um, due to covenants and ordinances that existed within business practices and often being denied the bank loans to start a lot of these companies. Uh, yep. They the groups a head start. And as they got that head start, they were able to build that residual income and generational wealth and start industries mm -hmm. and corporations. So even a lot of the black owned labels that were popular often were a subsidiary of a larger owned label. So even like LaFace, mm. you know, was under uh, Arista, which was under BMG. Bad Boy, Bad Boy became Bad Boy because it was a 50-50 joint venture with Clive Davis. And notice, mm. once, not this isn't even a dig at Diddy, but notice that when Clive Davis and, and that venture ended in 2001, that's also around the same time Bad Boy started to decline. So it's, I, I think there's layers in all that where we just never even had a, a shot when it came to what was in the pot. Motown yeah. could be possibly one of the exceptions, but one yep. of the, the flaws that existed with Motown was they had a really crappy business model. And so a lot of artists left without any real money. You know, even mm. when you look at the Supremes and when they, you know, they all left with about $100,000 by the time it was over. They all made the same thing. 
when Diana Ross went solo, she wasn't rolling in the dough. She was almost close to, to bankrupt. And that was more so because Motown mm-hmm. said, we're going to own your publishing and your masters and everything else. And you're not going to really write too much. You kind of saw that wow. shift when Stevie and Marvin were like, hey, you're going to take these projects. We don't wrote it. We'll see you. But um, yeah. there's just business models that have always been challenging. So I think a lot of times when people hear black own anything, there's always a dismissal uh, just because yeah. again, there's industry versus mom and pop. And so yeah. we're, in, we're still in a space of mom and pop because there just wasn't enough commerce and revenue for us to build things established. And now, you know, you're seeing your competition from three and four generations ago, which are now these massive, they've turned into the Amazons and Teslas and everything else. And we, we're still trying to piece it together. And it's not even to a fault of our own. It's just you lived in a country that didn't really give you an opportunity. And even when you exactly. took the opportunity, they burned it down. So that's, that's yeah. Let's not get started <laughs> with that, because that's, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> right, right, I'm saying <laughs> they owe us. Don't get me going. Look, no, no, but no, but that's good stuff. Uh, something that I looked at it like, like for us, we look at it like um, I made the analogy of having pay less shoes, and your classmates got name brand. They looking at you like, bro, what is your, what is the name of your shoe? No name. <laughs> like, and they're making fun of you, but I'm like, at least I got shoes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then I, I look at it like when we create our own businesses or we create our own labels, we look at it in that same light. Well, you don't have this brand name. You don't have this thing co-signing you socially. And I think the same thing applies with us even with our, our musical. You don't have this and you don't have that. And I can't take you serious because somebody else that, that don't even know me ain't co-signing you. It's like, I'm a regular smegular person just like you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you think the music is good, don't be weird. And just share the music or listen to it or do something. It don't hurt. You know what I'm saying? Um, Rick Ross said this before. It's like, man, it don't hurt to post. It don't hurt to click like. But you know what I'm saying? In my phrase, I'm just like, people are just weird and goofy. And I don't know why. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, you're not doing what I'm doing. So what? Now, it's a difference if it's whack. If you think that it's whack, it ain't nothing I can do about it. it a bunch of other people can think that it's good, and somebody can think that it's whack. Same thing applies with mainstream artists. They do something that's good, somebody out there is going to be like, nah, this is, this is trash. This is trash. So basically, to my understanding, you're saying that our remedy far as the, the black male R&B is the one is ownership. By just owning our own stuff, is that like part of it? I think it's first? a piece of it. I think that's one piece. I think okay. it also goes to what well, radio is kind of transitioning where it has the it has an impact, but I think you're starting to see the emergence of the streaming curated playlist become more impactful as well. Yep. But in the yep. radio conversation, you almost have to get back to a place where we're not on the syndicated playlists anymore. I think that killed a lot of R&B as well. As mm. radio stations started going from, because you got to think, a, a company like iHeart, which used to be Clear Channel, purchased yeah. so many radio stations over the last 30, 40 years. And that's why you have so many stations and they all have the same playlist. You know, the people, you know, you have that weekly or monthly but we're going to go over what the trend is. And, and these 20 songs are the 20 we're going to play. You know, Billboard even has that one rule. I cannot think of what it's freaking called. And I'm so mad I can't remember the name of it. But in Billboard charting, so on the Hot 100, if your song has been out for a certain amount of weeks, I can't remember what the threshold is, but once your song has been out for a certain amount of weeks, if it has not comfortably found its place within the top 40, after that threshold, they yank you off the charts. So your song can what? still be... so like. Going back to Normani, um, the song that she has, I think maybe last week or the week before, was like number one on 
R&B, hip hop, airplay or something like that. But the song is no longer mm-hmm. on the charts because it's been yanked. It took too long to get to that threshold and it didn't make it. It's yanked. And so now you need to push the next single. That's kind of like what they did even with um, Silk Sonic, Leave the Door Open. But that was more of a choice. It wasn't because the song wasn't doing good. It was because it had already peaked and they were trying to push the next singles. Remember, they had the Star Skating single that didn't really catch on. Yeah, uh, Smoking Out the Window was a bigger song. And so they were trying to push those. So you yank it. They did that with TLC No Scrubs at one point where... They could not get radio to start pushing Unpretty because No Scrubs was still so big. So you, Mm. I cannot think of what this this thing is freaking called, man. But yeah, once you have that certain threshold, they yank you off the Hot 100. Once you're seen as not being on the Hot 100, radio programmers are going to say, okay, this is no longer a viable song to push. Let's move on to something else. And so I think by having a nationally syndicated playlist that most radio stations abide by, it locks R&B artists out of the conversation, especially on mainstream, because you got to think a mainstream radio station right now, most likely it's all hip hop and some Mm -hmm. of the pop acts that have a a more edgy influence. And that's it. You're not going to hear a tank on any of those. Right. Which is weird. That's so during weird the old school lunch hour, you're not even gonna get to hear one of his throwbacks. Nope, nope. <laughs> like that is really so, weird, uh, man. If it's not an urban AC station, you know, a lot of these artists you're not gonna hear of. And what sucks for R and B, a lot of these artists that we really love have gotten older. So you know, a Deanna, yeah. a Maxwell, Music Social, they're no longer in their 20s and 30s. And so it's not yeah. saying that the industry flushes them out, but radio is a, a very young outlet. It's, it's pushed yeah. very young. You know, fortunately, there's Urban AC, but a lot of these other artists, no matter how great their music is, they're not going to get a lot of airplay on some of the larger stations. Maxwell has a bit of pull still, so he'll kind of be somewhat okay, but I think yeah. the playlisting is a terrible idea because it tells everybody what to listen to. What made music so great, yeah. I think, when we were kids was everything was still regional. And so mm-hmm. regions were looking at what the other regions were doing, and then you kind of right. cross and then songs would kind of cross over and spread that way. And then when we get yeah. to the playlisting in regards to streaming, you have a lot of curated playlists that exist now, but those are so bought out. Um, if you're mm-hmm. not an artist that has pool, you're not going to be on those playlists. You, you gonna right. You got pretty much money, payola So yeah. Oh, for some yeah. of them, not all, but you know, mm-hmm. with some of the curators, it's almost a payola setup. Or you, you and payola is still illegal, right? It's payola still is still illegal. illegal. Do it. There's creative ways to do it now. You just do some kind of bundle or, or deal, or you know, there's all kind of ways around it now. But the language is so broad, you can kind of yeah skip it and get away with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's like pay to play for video games. You, Pretty much. you play this game. You're like, man, I can't beat. I need this weapon. Let me go buy it. So. Like, there's no reason why Lucky Day shouldn't have more airplay. There's no reason why. Yeah. I don't know if you know. There's a guy like Gene Noble. He had a song, Matching Tattoos. That, his name's same. That, that name sounds familiar. It was a very well put together song. I was like, damn. Mm-hmm. I, it, I just remember like one time, I was at BET Honors. And Luke James had just kind of emerged and he performed the I Want You song. And I remember he just killed, I mean, kills it. Just, I was like, this is amazing. But I, I already knew, I was like, it's going to suck that this song isn't going to go anywhere, though. Like, you just already knew. And, and it was true. It didn't go anywhere because, again, pop radio is, is, is not going to, they're just not accepting. I'm going to say, now, here's no. the thing. Had, had, it, had, had somebody non black sung it? If that was a Sam Smith point. song. Yeah, if Bruno would have sang it. It would have crossed over. Yeah, so, yeah. and it, they'd still be playing it right now. And that's something that Tank was talking about too. And it's just, it's like we, 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 we're we're trendsetters. We do all these things, but then it's like, like once we're done with you, we're done with you, or you can't 
give us any there's we we not we but like the, the powers that be are like right. we see no value in what you're doing because they have an agenda as well that's that's my personal opinion that's a hidden agenda or an agenda in hidden in plain sight you know what i'm saying it's like well it sounds cool if you do it but we ain't trying to promote that it'd be different if somebody else that didn't look like you promoted it because we're trying to da 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 we want you to just be out here partying having sex and killing each other and spending all your money being broke we don't want you to talk about I want you, baby. Ooh, ooh. you know what I'm saying? Like we don't want we don't want to hear that from you. We don't want healthy. And it goes back from a healthy to like just basically promoting healthy relationships when it comes to R&B. You know what I'm saying? We could talk about sex all day, cool. But what about love, love, love? And so that was Tank's argument. He was like, "We're promoting all this stuff, but we don't want to." And situation ship and B is what we're in right now. <laughs> and some of that I think is imaging too. Like I, I think it's kind of shifted some, but I definitely say some years back as an R&B artist, if you were a male artist, there were really only pretty much like two kind of images you could have. Either you're the very, yeah. very respectable, traditional, almost kind of corny, paying paying yeah. homage to the '80s R&B crooners image, or you were the R&B thug. One of those two. That's it. Yeah, where, and you heard people say that. Where like even Joe said it on one song. He's like, I'm a super duper thug. I forgot which album that was. Yeah, you gotta have some street credit because you know without the street credit and, and everything else, you can't cross over to the more rhythmic stations. But see, here's the thing. More, Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I think there's a little bit more flexibility now where you're starting to see an emergence of other artists that kind of are, are different. Like, I think Kevin Ross is a great, an amazing vocalist, and I think he has oh, a definitely laid-back approach. Um, the guy Duckworth, he's more of a rapper, but he also sings and produces his own Does stuff. Really? But he, um, okay. he has a very interesting image that's a very ab- that's very abstract in comparison to what's expected. He hasn't really blown oh, up. Thundercat. Like, Thundercat. Thundercat. Um, yeah. There's a guy, he had a really nice song called uh, Monday Morning, Beano Fresh. Really dope song. Dope song. Man, here's like, I wish more people had BET Soul as a channel. Like, uh, you know, they... They actually play music on BET Soul, bro. Not BET, not BET, not BET the network, but BET Soul. It used to be BH1 Soul and then BET bought it. They, I will give them credit. Like, there's a lot of artists that... They get no other exposure, but BET Soul will play their stuff. And so I've discovered a lot of people just kind of sitting and watching that network, kind of. Um, really? Just because, you know, they will give people that you won't see anywhere else. You're never going to see them. Even, even at some of our award shows, you won't even see them at the BET Awards or the Soul Train Awards because they're not big enough yet, um, even for that. But, you know, I've seen so many, like, artists kind of come out of there. Even even the dude, what's the dude from Power? What's his name? I always say his name wrong. Rotomy? Mm. Oh, that dude. He has a song I just heard. It's a song he wrote to his, I think his wife or fiance. It's called, that was called I Do or something like that. Really nice R&B ballad. Really almost traditional where it's really just him and a piano. And I'm like, I didn't expect this to be on the radio. But it's just, there's all these artists that are making really great songs and great tracks. But, you know, the way that the industry is structured, it's just not giving Mm -hmm. people the exposure they deserve. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's really interesting. Um, Something I'm thinking about because I'm still oh, thinking it's about. I do. From, okay. I do. I'm thinking about as um, far as like the industry is concerned. Is uh, again, it's going back to ownership. As far as independence is concerned, because it's like there's some of us 
will probably never ever get signed to a major label. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but we still need some sort of major label, if that makes sense, major label money when it comes to marketing. Right. I think you and I, we talked about that like offline at one point. Marketing is hard. Is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> marketing is expensive. You know what I'm saying? And then if you got algorithms that are like, uh, you know, pay for this and we'll do this. And it's like, is it going to work? You got to figure it all out yourself or you got to find somebody that's going to market for you. That's a whole other thing. So, and that's the business side of it. Do you think that we're also losing based on the business perspective of, 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 of R&B? I, I think, yeah, and, and, but it's because I, I think for, if, if you're an indie act, you got to already do everything. Like, there's a lot of, like, indie, and when I say indie, I mean real indie, like, you're not even signed to an independent label. You're doing it out of your... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. if you're in that category, you're doing everything. And most of the time, you're also probably producing your own stuff as well. And so yep. there's always been that gap where there's artistry and there's the business. And I think for mm. us, you know, you, you have to have a business partner or a business team that believes in you to do the work that you're not going to be able to do because you're you're in creative mode. You're in, I'm trying to build my stage show. I'm trying to yeah. craft my sound. I can't spend eight hours a day figuring out, you know, derivatives and, and, and how to figure out an algorithm. It, it's a lot. So I think yeah. people don't want to invest in R&B is like when it comes to like business partnerships. Um, and I think for R&B artists, especially like, again, if you're self-made or really independent where you're really not even signed to just even an indie label, even some of the opportunities that you tend to find are not even for R&B acts. You know, you play on Instagram enough, you'll always see different opportunities. You submit your song for this, submit your song for that. And most of the time it's for rappers. It's not for R&B acts. I'll never forget, I flew all the way to Atlanta for this music conference one time. And I might have been one of four R&B type acts. The rest were all okay. rappers. And it's not saying yeah. anything against rap music, but I think there's there are more outlets for a rapper to kind of, you know, break in or do whatever they have to do. Um, so I think with the business model, Eddie Adams said, yeah, Kevin Ross is very skilled. I love Thundercat. Uh, Drunk is one of my favorite albums of the last few years. Like, yeah, a lot of these folks are really dope. Um, and I, I, I wish more people could discover their music, but I think it sucks that there aren't a lot of outlets that, you know, give them exposure. We're in a space where you have to go and dig and search for everything now, which I think sucks because there was an era where a lot of really good music used to just be dropped off in your lap. I think sometimes people just you also want to enjoy music with other people. You know, it's nothing like, you know, I don't know, you're in a car with a handful of friends and a song comes on the radio that y'all all love and you sing it in the car word for word. I don't know if we're still in that era. Um, it, it, I mean, maybe generationally it may vary, but I think we're just in this space now where, you know, one, music is very saturated too because you have a lot of independent artists that are putting out content and then you have the indie artists that are on indie labels putting theirs out, plus those on major labels putting theirs out. So there's a whole lot of options, which is good. But again, that conversation of structure has gone. Well, I was going to say, let's talk about you as an artist. Because I think we... We we went over the history. The history we talked about what could possibly possibly be done as far as like remedies outside of like major machines in reference to black male R and B. And then overall, it's we're still dealing with people. You know what I'm saying? Like we can like oh we need this machine or we can do something outside of the machine. But at the end of the day, we still need regular regular people like you and I. You know what I'm saying? That are lovers of music to really you know say play a part and champion. 
know what I'm saying, just R&B in general, mainstream or independent, right? If it's, if it's good, what's up, mama? Okay, she acting like a little monkey. Oh, you got something to say? What you got to say? What you think about R&B? You got something to <laughs> So, but let's talk about you as an artist, man. So how long have you been singing? Um, so wait, so do you sing, you write, do you produce your own stuff as well? Or you like- Yeah, so everything I do is all, I do it right here in this corner. <laughs> this is my studio, all this, you can't see everything else. But no, I, yeah. all of mine is self-produced. But it's interesting, I, um, I had to learn how to, get into a space where I actually even considered myself an artist. Cause honestly I was just making music cause I enjoyed it. I wasn't, there wasn't an end goal. I just was making, making it like my very first album wasn't supposed to be a thing. I just randomly built a studio one day and somehow I had an album. <laughs> and by the time I got to do my second one, it was more intentional. Like, okay, I really want to do this now, but no, I'm one. I had that same story that most of us had. We grew up in church <laughs> and you had to participate. Yeah. You all, you know, all of us, Michael Jackson, Marvin Gaye, Stevie, Prince, yeah. everybody's in. Mm-hmm. I throw Janet in there for me. I think with my sound, I, I'm, a, I'm a mix of like R&B and pop. Um, Got it. Yeah, yeah. what it is. But no, um, yeah, I really, I always wanted to be, I guess by the time I was an adult, a songwriter producer for other people. I never really saw myself as being the artist. And then... After that first time, I was like, actually, this ain't too bad. I can do this. And then, mind you, there were so many yeah. people that were out that I'm just like, I remember when I had my Army is Dead series, I used to always say I would never go into music because I couldn't, I couldn't sit in the room with Tevin Campbell vocally or Phil Perry or Kevon Edmonds. And I was like, those to me are like the singers. So I always felt intimidated by what they could do. But then as so many other people got on and you just kind of saw anything goes, I was like, well, hell, I can do this. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And so I, I just, I make music just because I enjoy it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be more strategic and intentional as an artist. Um, cause a lot of people are like, yeah, you drop music and then you just be like, all right, next. Now you're working on like a movie or something. So can you, are you going to ever like really like push your project? So I was like, all right, cool. We'll do a music video here and there. So I'm just, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process, but I, I've always just been a really big fan of, of so many genres. And I just, I miss the era of melody and mm-hmm. vocals. And, and people think vocals just always means you got to be the, the, the squalor. It's not even about squalor. It's right. understanding that you, there's so much people can do with their voices. There's so much that you can do with a song and, and just even vocal delivery changes. I said this in my R&B is Dead series that in the commercial world, the formula for Success has always been you have a really catchy hook, you have a really catchy uh, melody, and the vocal delivery is something that stands out. But vocal delivery doesn't have to mean you you sing like Luther. Like an example would be like a Khalees milkshake. You know, what makes that song stand out is the vocal delivery of the song. Not She's not singing like the national anthem, but it's something that's unique and different to the ear. People are like, this is different. Let me this out and so it becomes a thing i think one of the reasons tlc was so successful was t-boz had such an unconventional tone and voice for a girl group because you got to remember girl groups when they were put out they were supposed to be extra sassy and sensual and she has this very just smooth kind of raspy tone they're like okay but i think that's what only t-boz can sing a song like creep So as an artist, there are those elements people have to consider too. I think also one of the challenges that's happened in R&B, and I'll even say this for some male R&B, 
a lot of people who are always saying we're going to save R&B, I'm here to save R&B, yeah. saying you yeah. under a table. But sometimes <laughs> the music is not up to par with the vocals sometimes, where right. the yeah. songs sometimes yeah. are just very missed. Some of that's just industry. Nobody wants to invest to give them better producers. But you have a lot of people that have these really amazing voices, and I don't think some of them have found the producers that really can highlight what they can do artistically and present it in a way that you know is appeasing to multiple audiences. So I think, um, you know, there's just vocally, I, I miss that. I miss hearing, that's why I'm not a fan of auto-tune like that, because I want to hear people's, I want to hear your vibrato. And I, I don't, I'm not a fan of everything sounding 100% perfect either. I want to hear like that, that vocal break when you go from your head voice to your chest voice or back and forth, right. like that rawness. I think one of the reasons why, when you think of soul and R&B singers, especially the male singers from the 60s, like Johnny Taylor, um, Percy Sledge, Jackie uh, Wilson, like all of them, the reason their voices have such a distinction is they come out of the era where you had to record all your songs in one take. You didn't get mm -hmm. the luxury. Mm -hmm. We're spoiled. I'm not going to lie. I thank God for Pro Tools because, you know, sometimes you, you nail a verse and then you're like, dang, man, I messed up that verse. Then you got to go back and do it again. Right. You know, I'm, right. Not in a, I'm not in here with a whole orchestra where I got to do the whole song from scratch. If I mess up a part, I can go from where I left off and keep going. But they come out of that era where you recorded everything in one take. So they had a certain stamina that was built within what they could do vocally and their voices would never really tire. And so it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of those artists that come out of those early eras, especially up in the analog era, I would say up until probably the mid seventies, most of them, when they would give a live show sound exactly like the record. Because yeah. it, there's a tr your, that muscle memory, it, there's a training that's there, as opposed to we're in the era of studio artists. And I have no beef yeah. with studio artists, you know, especially mm -hmm. if you're one of those artists, you got a lot of layering and stacking. Cool, do you? Yeah. But yeah. Um, record, the recording process, in my opinion, is much easier now. And so some people don't put in the same effort. They do the bare minimum and mm. records here. I, when people brag about putting out like a song a day, I'm like, <sighs> right. I'm like, do you know how long? Like, you when you I heard Russ do that, day, but I'm like, you, right. You made the music and the melody and wrote the lyrics and recorded it all in one day. Are you right. sure? Like, are you sure your mind is made up yet? Like, one of the things I yeah. always do is. I'll like, I'll be honest, I've been working on a project for like two years now, but I'll start something mm. and let it sit and simmer for months and come back yeah. to it and see how much my viewpoints have evolved to come up with something mm. else. Like, I, yeah. yes. and again, it's the industry, you know, everything is quick now. Even the songs are getting shorter. I know people right. love that one song that samples uh, Juvenile back to thing, but the song is like a minute and 40 seconds. I can't think of the song. It's kind of catchy. Song is that? Go, I always say it wrong. It's Jealous or whatever the song is. Um, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a dope track, but it's mm. it's a minute and forty three seconds. And so when I first heard it, just as I was about to get into it, it went off. I said, "Wait a minute, dang!" It used to be, you know, mm. I used you used to side eye the two minute and thirty second songs, and now we down to one forty three. This is an yeah, interlude. That's, that, that's our right. That's what it basically oh, is. So I did a song like that a while like, back. Yeah, I got a few you know songs that are like that, but I was like, "That's really bold to push that as a, a radio single." But okay, yeah. so yeah, it's just. Um, I, I miss that era of artists like really being hands-on in the creative process and just trying to do something different. Uh, yeah, yeah. Something that you had said earlier 
was when you were talking about far as like production time and stuff like that, and people like, oh, I'll put out a song a day. He's like, but if you're doing it all by yourself, how is that possible? Like that, like something is going to be lacking there in your in your mixing. Right. You know what I'm saying? Just you know what I'm saying, especially when you're doing it on your own. And then you know what I'm saying? You got to either you do a two track mix, or you're tracking out your instrumental and you're mixing every single instrument to where your vocals sit. You're not going to sit there and tell me that you did that in a day, one song, especially as a singer, and then you say you got background vocals and all this stuff, stuff going on, and you want to add effects. Maybe you did, and you just didn't mix anything. You didn't compress. You didn't EQ. You didn't do... You, you haven't done all of these. But yeah, and I think that's always interesting. I wanted to backtrack real quick, and we're going to end it, man, because I, I told you I wanted to keep you for an hour, and I'm sorry, because that's oh, what happened you, last you time. It's, it's Friday. I ain't got, we in a pandemic. I ain't got nowhere to go. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't in the house. But DC got a bad surge right now. You ain't got to worry about me going nowhere Oh, right man. Now. So Eddie said uh, about Kevin Ross. He said, yeah, uh, Eddie, uh, Kevin Ross is very skilled. I love Thundercat. Uh, Drunk is one of my favorite albums of the last 10 years. He also said, I, yeah, I hear you. I'm split. Part of me loves the aspect of community and loving an artist that other people know about. But I'm also just finding but i also just love finding great artists whether they're known or not um and then another party said was wow you uh hard i don't know what that means uh, you hit a uh, heart you're so on point with everything you're saying right now there's so much you can do as a vocalist this is in reference to what you were saying as far as different styles like what you were saying about t boss uh right so on point so you know what i'm saying and that was the thing like even even with me as an artist i was like i don't sound but like even when i was singing in church i'm like i don't do all that stuff that people do i do runs i can do rips i can do runs i can harmonize but they was like squat i said like, i don't know how to do that Plus, I didn't grow up really hearing that. I heard that from like a Rance Allen, mm -hmm. primarily, uh, a Daryl Coley. You know what I'm saying? But you know what I'm saying? Rest in peace. All these different people, but not from the Winans. I didn't hear that from 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 Marvin Winans and his brothers. I didn't hear that from BB and CC Winans. I barely heard it from Yolanda Adams. Just as far as like gospel music is concerned. You know what I'm saying? And then on top of that, I was listening to what people would call uh, well, Hillsong music. It was Hosanna at, at that point in time. Oh, y'all were jumping with the guitars. Uh, <laughs> y'all was jumping with the guitars. <laughs> no, bro. We were actually singing at one point in time before we had instru uh, like musicians and stuff like that. We would sing to their, uh, 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 to their tracks on cassette tape, right? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with a Larnell Harris from the 80s, 90s. My mom used to sing some of his stuff. He got a song called I, Cho I Choose Joy. Uh, uh, Denise Williams, when, when Denise decided to go uh, to the gospel arena or c Christian contemporary, you know what I'm saying? Like, my mom would sing her stuff. So I grew up, Helen Baylor, all them. Not no Baylor, Helen, everybody Baylor. know Helen, at least from the. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry. I was thinking about this meme that they use her on. But it was her testimony uh, and about how she hit her head. Boom. And she said, I had to play. <laughs> it's not funny because it's a playing, testimony. man. <laughs> internet, that's, you always get a good laugh on the internet. Folks gonna Bro, I'm mad because it's not supposed to be funny, but it's funny when you see it on like a meme. <laughs> like one of my favorite Instagram pages is that Church of Laugh page. I'm like, man, yeah. that is the funniest <laughs> page. Just like stuff that happens in church. But I'm like, y'all be playing. But boy. Uh, yeah. Did you see the one where my man was paying tithes and then some dude ran up on him after he gave the tithe? But he got robbed? No, 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 no. So bless you. 
So they're 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 in service. They're they're in the sanctuary. And they had just finished giving tithes and offerings. And one man runs up on my dude and just starts boxing him in front of the pastor. Oh, and he's sitting in the front row and the dude comes. Yeah. And they turn off the, the, the live feed for a minute. Man. He was boxing. He was like, yo, yo, it looked like a whole, was it, V for Vendetta? The, yeah, the, 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 bro. All right. The, the EA Sports game with the hip hop fighters fighting each other. <laughs> it looked like okay. Def Jam Vendetta. Was that the game? Remember? That? Yeah, that's what it's. Um, that's what it was called. I'm sorry, Def Jam Vendetta. I'm thinking about the movie V for Vendetta. But yeah, Jeff uh, Def Jam Vendetta. It was like that. He just ran up on him like, yeah, what's up? What's up? I'm like, bro, is this part of the scene to play the video game? What's going? On? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, it's um. It's a lot of work. It's, and I think consumers of music really need to understand that. Um, there's a juggle, even from, um, even from a, a, a mainstream perspective. There's a juggle. There's always some sort of politics. There's times that some. This is something that I wanted to talk about too. Okay, baby. Okay, you telling me it's almost time. Got you. So here's another thing too: is that something that Tank talked about was the competition. Between artists, and then sometimes it's not even us. It's like, or it's not them. It's the label that's like, I don't want you to work with this other artist because they're part of this label. And I got some personal beef or whatever with that, so I don't. Excuse me, want to work with you, but my thing was, like, if we're on the same page, we're on the same page. Some people you can work with, some people you can't work with. It is what it is. Ain't nothing we can do about it. Life happens. All this other stuff. People have their own. You know what I'm saying? is going on. But something I was talking, that I thought about was instead of us competing. We could be doing two things that start with a C. Either we can collab, or we can challenge the person. But challenge the person in a in a in a perspective of growing, not Negro. I'm better than you. What you finna do? Or I got these likes, or I got these follows, or I got all these spins. But challenging it from like, hey, you heard the song that I did. You know what I'm saying? What can you, you know what I'm saying? What kind of song yeah. can you present? Because that's that's what they did with, like, well, basically they were competing. But it was a form of challenging as well, like with Prince and A Time and yeah. Jimmy Jam and Especially them. Especially on those with, tours. Yeah. They, yeah. When you see and hear the stories of, like, uh, the 1999 tour with Prince's band versus Morris Day and The Time's band and who could jam harder. Or even, like, right. you look at Michael and Janet when they recorded Scream. Scream ended up oh. being so good because they were in such competition with each other during the recording process. Michael would record his piece. Janet, as we know, is a decent vocalist, but compared to her brother, is you know, so she put in a lot of work in hers. He heard her mix, was like, oh, wait, she, she ain't playing games. Let me go back and redo this. And so they went back and forth for like a handful of days re-recording their parts until we got what we got. Now, Michael was petty. He lowered Janet's vocals in the hook and said, you ain't gonna hit it this much. But, yeah, they literally were so enthusiastic about the song that they kept making the other better. And I think for somebody like Janet, that's one of her best vocals. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, that song uh, was sick. Yeah, so yeah, that's always been a thing. And I, and I said, like, you've seen the artists do that in the touring world, which I'm so glad they finally picked that up. Like, in the last six or seven years, a lot of R&B acts have done joint tours, especially the CD mm, act. Mm-hmm. You know, so you'll see like an SWV and Salt and Pepper, SWV and In Vogue tour, um, or, because the pop artists were already doing it. You saw like Backstreet Boys and New Kids on the Block on tour together, so I'm like, all right, New Kids, who you right, about to get there? Right. You know, and so you've seen a lot of collaborations, e- even with the season, season, your mama's auntie artist. You know, there's a current tour that's been going around. It's Gladys, Patty, and Stephanie Mills. On, on tour together. So, Are you serious? Yeah, so you're seeing 
I, I've always thought that was a really great idea because, you know, sometimes sponsors don't think an artist can carry a tour by themselves, depending on how they see the, the artist. We don't think you can, I mean, maybe you can pull a tour, but it's going to be in cafes. If you're trying to sell out, you know, a theater or an amphitheater, you're going to need, you know, something else. And so I've always liked that. Did you say a cafe? I mean, listen, I've seen some very great <laughs> entertainers that we used to watch on TV in random venues with 50 people. And so, you know, but I've also seen a ship. Like I'll say the first time I saw Shantae Moore live, it was at this place called the K2 Lounge in Woodbridge, Virginia. There were literally 50 people in the crowd to the point where, you know, she was pulling people on stage. I ended up on stage with her. She, Yo, she thought, oh, did she ask you to sing? Did she, oh, ask you to sing? she wanted somebody to dance, but she thought I was in the wrong show because at the time I was only like 23. She was like, I didn't know y'all knew my music like that. But then fast forward, you know, you know, she's been able to rebrand. When I saw her uh, some years later, she was at the Howard Theater, like doing a much bigger show. So, you know, I think and, and really that was a result of her like being on that reality show. I forgot what it's called. And then um, doing other things that kind of keep your name out there. I'm always for the idea of collaborative efforts and, and partnerships just to kind of you might as well come up together. And like even with the, the Silk Sonic idea, I know they catch a lot of smoke depending on how, where people stand on things. But for somebody like an Anderson Pack. That is the perfect benefit for him to get a larger audience because I've always said he's one of my favorite entertainers, but he's been very under the radar. You know, partnering with somebody like a Bruno Mars and then dropping a project. Now, people who've never heard of you realize, oh, he has like four other albums we should check out. So it just opens different doors. Calvin, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you for sharing your insight with us, brother. And uh, let us know where we can find you at on, on far as social media is concerned and your music. Yeah, so um, you can pretty much find, if you search Calvin Michaels, I'll pop up on a bunch of stuff. So on YouTube, okay. Calvin Michaels, my music is on all the streaming platforms under Calvin Michaels. Mm. I have a new project coming out in the spring. Wait, been working very hard. Um, yeah. Very hard. Like, man, I mean, it helped that we were in the pandemic and had nowhere to go. So I had a lot of time. So that's, yeah. I mean, I have a podcast called Comedically Hardheaded. Um, that's on all the platforms as well. Instagram, give me a beat. But if you type in uh, Calvin Michaels, I'll pop up. Um, Twitter and everything as well, give me a beat as well. So um, you pretty much type in Calvin Michaels, I'll pop up somewhere. Word. Did you mention your, your YouTube as well? You mentioned yeah. that already. Your uh -huh. YouTube. Okay, I about to say, I know you didn't forget that because, man, that's how I that's found Bread you. and butter. That, that, that's my marketing right there. I, everything yeah. I put out, I use YouTube to push it. And trust me, guys, when you get on his YouTube, you will not be disappointed. I can guarantee you. He's going to educate you. He's going to make you laugh. And he's going to make you like examine your, your life in some perspective. You know what I'm saying? Just reminiscing on things or whatnot. Thank and you. Just, just open your eyes to a lot of stuff. But yeah, man, thank you so much for, for chopping it up with me. I really appreciate it. For those who were listening and watching, thank you. And uh, actually, what I'm going to do is give y'all some props for even just hopping in, coming in. And, and, and chiming in. So a uh, shout out to uh, Eddie Adams. Shout out to Mel V. Daly. Um, it was just y'all two. Uh oh, baby. No, because your mama don't want you to be really in the camera. That's what I'm showing the back of her head. Because uh, my wife is like, I don't want her. I don't want the world to see that child. Like, okay, blanket. You got to get a mask. <laughs> mask on, but that, but that butterfly mask Michael used to put on the kids. <laughs> that mask on. Because nobody honest. knew what the kids looked like until the funeral, to be honest. Look, that's a shame. Yeah. Don't look like. My man was dangling them like this, like it was Simba. 
I was like, boy. Vey, uh, Vey Holloway, thank you for chiming in real quick. And we had some other people. But yeah, man, um, I do want to keep this conversation going because it's, like I said, it's, 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 it's interesting for like mainstream artists to say it. But in some cases, they got their hands tied because they're signed to major, major labels. We're not. We're, you know what I'm saying? Oh, ain't nobody gonna bother us. Mm-mm. But we can, we can have this talk and we can say, hey, this is what we would like to hear. This is what we don't want to hear because this is the education portion something i said before and i'm glad that you mentioned it um earlier calvin stop baby was that um you have to have some working i said this in a different uh episode but you have to have some working knowledge of r&b history right there's a dude he's about like 29 he's like yeah i love the old school r&b and we was like okay he was one of them oh i want to bring our good r&b back and so this old head was like well who do you listen to that's old school? My man started mentioning B2K, Amarion, Mario. <laughs> oh, first of all, 29 is close to my age range. I'm 33, but like, wait a minute. Right. Now you know better than 29. <laughs> but that's what he said. He's like, but that's old school. And I was like, but well, that was like 20 years. I was in high school. It's 2022. I graduated in 2002. I said, like, I kind of feel you, but that's really not old that's school. That's more of a throwback, if anything. Yeah, that's okay for kids that were like born in 2002. That you know what I'm saying? That might be for them, but you know we already know the old school stuff is from like at least the 70s. Yeah, you got it. You know what I'm saying? He was. Then he just started naming random people. I like Stevie Wonder. I was like, well, what kind of? I, I wanted to pick that dude apart. You know what I'm saying? Because I was like, but he was one of the ones that was just like just a hustle. Like, oh, I just started singing last year. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Like, boy, get out of here. But he had a decent voice, but. Bruh, your your uh your artist development skills are lacking. You know what I'm saying? Like you better go study some stuff. And the old head, I'm glad that he did it because it just showed that some people we gotta take you you can't just be a good singer. You gotta have some working knowledge of the people before you. Give them their flowers. You know what I'm saying? Cause you can't be out here like, oh, I ain't never listened to this stuff and I'm dope. It's like whoever you listen to influenced, you know what I'm saying, was influenced oh, yeah. by other people. And that's what I had to do with my assignment. That's why you got your lucky day. And he mentioned how he was influenced by D'Angelo. And D'Angelo was influenced by Stevie Wonder and Prince. You know what I'm saying? They were influenced, you know what I'm saying, by, you know what I'm saying, Nat, uh, Nat, uh, Nat King Cole, like these people. So and it goes further and further and further and further. So, but yeah, man, thank you so much. Follow him. Follow me. Um, I don't just do this. I'm actually a singer, songwriter. Uh, and I produce my own music and stuff, so I'll be like doing little videos here and there, singing or whatnot. I'll be covering my own stuff. I challenge Calvin to do the same, sing his own stuff. He actually, you just post stuff. You just that's your IG. You just be posting whatever you want to post. Yeah, I, I gotta be more. <laughs> like, folks be fighting me on IG because they're like, you never. Yeah. When you're on here, you posting some old performance from 1981 <laughs> of somebody we ain't ever seen before. And then you I'm like, we want to hear you sing. Oh, yeah, they're like, you're going to do the Can We Talk Challenge? I was like, well, by the time I got to IG to discover it, it was already old. I was like, y'all go ahead. Y'all got it. Look, man, but hey, but hey, real talk. Calvin, his falsetto is, your falsetto is ridiculous. I've heard a couple of your songs. I was like, "Uh uh-uh. Yeah, you have, like, ridiculous in a good way. That was like, I I just learned, like, your music, too. You Usually you get one thing, but you ain't giving everything else. So I, I guess I was mm. giving a false subtle. I would love that. Powerful <laughs> chest voice. Sometimes I'm like, man, but false is a gift because sometimes that chest voice don't come out. You layer some false notes in there to sound just as, as good. So I'm like, all right, that works. 
Look, but uh, no, but it's good. And you're layering when you're mixing your vocals and, you know what I'm saying, adding your harmonies and stuff or vocal vocal arrangement. It's good. I remember when I first heard some of your stuff, I was like, oh, this is nice. And I heard the Prince vibes and stuff. I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'll see you, sir. So, and I enjoyed that, man. So, I'm looking forward to your project. Uh, guys, again, please follow him. Follow him on YouTube, definitely. Oh, he said, yeah, I'm here from YouTube. So, you already know what it is, Mel. You already know what it is. So, but yeah, if you guys are, are, aren't are new to him, get hip to him real quick. Check out his stuff. He's going to educate you on some stuff, right? So, but yeah, guys, thank you so much for checking out the live stream for the Supposed to Be Different podcast. And also follow me on my actual Supposed to Be Different podcast, but this is my main podcast. Uh, but yeah, uh, I appreciate you guys for listening, for chiming in. Calvin, again, thank you so much, sir. For those who are listening, thank you for being patient with my daughter. That wanted to talk and she had a special guest host. Right. Now she's super, look, she's super quiet. She ain't got nothing. Okay, I I don't have the camera showing. So you can see her now. Let me show you her a little bit. This this is how it be when the kids at church be, uh, go to kids (laughs) at church. They be at home singing all day and then when it's time to do the Easter speech, they don't got nothing to say. Be frozen. Ain't got not a doggone thing to say. I'm like, daughter, you ain't got nothing to say. Look, she's super quiet. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it? Why are you like this? That's but dope. Yeah, Congrats on the on the daughter. That's that's dope. I appreciate Next it. Chapter, for real. So. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So thank you so much, guys. Stay on with me real quick. Yeah. Uh, but thank you so much, guys. Peace and God bless. Deuce.